Welcome to Tell Me Your Story. This is a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we come your way every uh, Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times, as well as... 9 a.m. Wednesdays for this special edition of Tell Me Your Story that is, uh, as I was going to say, streamed live at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations that you folks are reposting at our, our interviews to. Thank you for doing that. We're also on YouTube where you can listen to and watch these interviews, and I hope that you will, as well as go to our guest's website. We'll be giving that out shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process, that transformation that we're all working on uh, to uh, make this world a better place for everyone. Also, if you find that these programs are uh, beneficial and uh, they resonate with you and you'd like to support the work that we are doing, we would greatly appreciate that. Financial support is uh, received through a PayPal account I've set up for your security as well as ours. And also would like you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, uh, where we ask you to go within, spend some time listening to that still small voice and cal being calm, find that peaceful place, that serene place where you can relax and re-energize, rejuvenate, recharge those batteries, as it were, on a spiritual level, on a metaphysical level, if you will, on a soul level, so that you can enter into the material world, as it were, um, fully charged and ready to go to take on uh, whatever tasks it is that you feel like you want to take on. I think you're going to enjoy our program today because we're going to go into a time warp of sorts, uh, which I find fascinating. I've always uh, been intrigued by some of the folks that, uh, uh, that are uh, putting out materials that are intriguing because they are looking back at history and they are basically taking that old adage that if we do not learn from history, we are, and I think the, the accurate word here is doomed, doomed <laughs> to repeat it. And I think our guest will uh, probably uh, agree with us there. Uh, we're going to be talking with the author of a, a book that's out, The New American Middle Ages. Well, huzzah! Uh, wait a minute, that's after the Middle Ages comes the Renaissance, then it's huzzah. Uh, but we're going to talk with uh, Jenny Graham Scott, Dr. Jenny Graham Scott, uh, who is a sociologist. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I find this conversation, uh, it's going to be very interesting, especially considering the fact that there are those who um, are very firm believers in that concept, uh, that if we do not learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. I would definitely agree with that. And that's why I think it's important to know what happened in the Middle Ages, because I think we're reliving that time now. Uh, which is, on the one hand, it's very unfortunate. Uh, but if people will just open their eyes and their ears and take a look around, they will see that, you know, you've got the... Um, the peasants and the serfs and the royalty and all of this kind of stuff and the separation is getting wider and wider and wider and people are getting more and more frustrated, uh, even angry, uh, to the point, unfortunately, of violence. Uh, we see a lot. I mean, I love watching movies and television programs, short series programs uh, about the Middle Ages. But I also am saddened by the fact that um, there are only a few individuals, sometimes at the higher echelons, who get it, who get that everybody is a human being and needs to be treated in a certain way. Uh, let's uh, find out uh, why, how, or rather, uh, maybe more so how, not so much why, but we can answer the why also. Uh, how did you begin this, um, how do I say this, investigation or, or research into acknowledging or recognizing more so that we have entered or are entering or have entered uh, the Middle Ages here in the 21st century? Well, I think for me, it started by watching a number of programs on Netflix. There were history programs and they were about the Middle Ages and the way the kings and the, the royalty exist, um, had conflicts and they had the peasants and they had rebellions. And so I started learning about all that and I just started seeing parallels with what was happening in our life today 
and particularly as we have a, a, a social inequality that's bigger than ever. And so, you know, the people are living like royalty and they're totally separate. And many of the films that, in fact, on Netflix deal with the problems of the royalty, you know, sort of separating us. We're, wa we're watching these programs about things that don't really deal with day-to-day -day life. Uh, foreign films are a little bit more um, general where they take in, into consideration what's happening in everyday life. But, but more and more, you know, like the uh, life with the Kardashians, um, you want to be a millionaire, um, uh, the yeah. shark programs. I mean, there are just so many programs that emphasize the fact of, well, you too can be a millionaire and maybe somebody can win a lottery. But for most people, there's a growing poverty. Uh, in San Francisco, there's this huge homeless problem. And uh, they can't seem to solve it because the people, uh, the NIMBY people, don't want people in their neighborhood who are poor and homeless. And so there's there's struggles to try to even find places for them to live. Is that sort of the, the, the main problem, if you will, is that uh, there are those who have attained that status, we'll call it that, and uh, maybe they start because we we hear about the rags to riches stories uh, and that they forget. Or is it those who are born into what is referred to privilege uh, who they don't get it? I, I heard this about the Kennedy family, for example, and this this is going back 10 or 15 years when I heard this. OK, that uh, the reason why if we took a look at the actions, I mean, all of the actions, even those we don't aren't even aware of, but we became knowledgeable about some of the carryings on behind the scenes. Uh, the Kennedys, for example, uh, that's their norm. But for you and me, we'd have some moral and or ethical problems with some of that behavior. But for them, that's what they were raised in. They don't know any different. Now, this is how it was explained to me. I'm not saying that's the way it is. That was what someone said to me. Uh, or like, for example, what came out in that uh, interview with, uh, what was it, Harry and, uh, and, and Markle, uh, Megan, uh, in terms of what really is going on behind the scenes, the attitudes and so forth. And that's just the way they are. It isn't right or wrong. It just is. Yeah, no, I think it's a different, totally different lifestyle. And kids that are raised in power, they go to boarding schools. Uh, you know, they're totally out of touch. And it was very much like that in the Middle Ages. And I, as I talk about in the, the New American Middle Ages, that um, you had the royalty who was raised by um, scholars who would come in and they would teach people at, at the, um, the, the, the castle or the mansion. And uh, they were totally separate. And there wasn't really the same kind of education that we have today. But in the public school education is very much different than the private school experience that people have. And they learn to become, you know, very exclusive. I mean, I remember when I was a, a teenager going to a um, cotillion in uh, in Boston, and we I had a contact there, and mm -hmm. she invited me and a friend. And so we started dancing with some of the people there, and they would say, "Well, where are you from?" And I would say, "Great Neck High." And all of a sudden, they would say, "Well, thank you very much for the dance," and they would move on because, you know, I wasn't of their class. And my, my friend had that experience too. And there's a sense of once you are in that class, you want to stay in that class. You want to follow the behaviors. And so you're very ready to uh, ignore or uh, shun other people who aren't because you're afraid of being pulled back down again. And you see this all the time with people in power. Uh, they The kids just take it for granted that they're going to have power, but th then sometimes they have trouble with drugs and alcohol, you know, they party a lot. They don't really have the kind of job responsibilities because they've been given so much money and power from a young age. It is really uh, uh, kind of strange because, you know, I sit here and I say, boy, I would really like to have a few more zeros you know, before the decimal point in my bank account. But then there is that, that other perspective of, yeah, but what would that turn me into? And I, I have all these wonderful idealistic goals. I want to support this nonprofit and that group of people and so forth. If I just had all of that, you know, coinage and so forth in my bank account, I would do that. And it's idealistic when we start out. And it's almost along the same lines of people who run for public office, especially to Washington, D.C. They're very idealistic when they start out. 
But when they get to Washington, they say there's like something in the water or something in the air that just turns them into something that they had never wanted to be in the first place. You're, Sociologists talk about that or yeah. psychologists talk about what's called groupthink. And you become part of this group and you learn to think the way the group works. There were some uh, experiments done by Zimbardo in the early days of, of people who were uh, uh, kids that were just assigned to be either jailers or prisoners. And then after a few days, the jailers started acting like, you know, real jailers and they mistreated the kids that they were with and they had to stop the experiment because it was starting to become very dangerous. And so people are easily swayed into whatever group they're in of following along the rules. I mean, we're, we're sort of trained to be part of a group. Is there any part of our society, and I'm going to go global here, uh, that has ever sort of, I don't know if I want to say, resolved or come to grips with and maybe corrected for a even if it was just for a period of time, that whole in social inequity? I'm not sure there really is. I mean, you have all these uh, revolutions going on all over the world right now because of um, uh, people in, uh, in Korea, in um, uh, 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 Myanmar, uh, in um, um, Egypt, I mean, you know, every, every place you can think of, um, and, and several places in Africa, where there's rebellions against people who were once maybe out of power, now they're in power, and there are struggles within royal families um, in uh, the Middle East, for example. In Jordan, there was this, um, I, I think there's an arrest of Hamza, uh, who was the, the brother and uh, supposedly uh, starting a rebellion. And power can be very, very seductive. And I think you see that in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, it was much more maybe structured. I mean, you didn't have uh, many opportunities for moving ahead. Maybe as you became a knight, you could you know, gain power and, and some of the knights um, or, or like Rasputin, who becomes, you know, in the, in the court and influences somebody. But the, with rare exceptions, the, they were very much uh, organized. And one of the things that inspired the rebellions uh, uh, in the, um, the 1400s was the, um, uh, all the taxes, that they, because they were fighting these wars for territory between these different uh, feudal uh, kingdoms that they would bring out these armies and they would pay the armies and they would tax the uh, peasants even more. And so, uh, so that created the rebellions. And then after a while, because, um, uh, because of the, and, and the famine changed everything because what happened then is you had about a half to a third of the population being decimated. And so suddenly they were paying the people more because there were fewer workers. Mm -hmm. That helped to create a middle class and that helped to pave the way through the Renaissance. And so, you know, in some ways, I mean, I see that these rebellions that are going on and they're, they're killing huge numbers of people. I mean, I've been reading what's going on in Myanmar and they were more and more repressive. But, you know, at a certain point, maybe the, the tide will turn. And uh, I mean, at, at that point, there's this new generation that emerges we're talking with uh, Jenny Graham Scott. She is the author of The New American Middle Ages, as we are uh, conversing about uh, our uh, period of transition, if you will. It's been going on for quite a long time. We'll talk a little bit about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And uh, we are going to give you the website here in just a moment where you can find out more about the work that she is doing. It is uh, Change Makers Publishing and writing.com changemakerspublishingandwriting.com you can find out more about her and the work that she does and the other things that she has written as well and we'll continue our conversation here with her as we continue with you on tell me your story we do give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true here on the program and uh, i think that one of the things that we want to talk about now with our special guest jenny graham scott is uh, something you alluded to right near the end of our last segment was the fact that following the Middle Ages, not a fun time to be in, uh, and it seems to me that if we had it back then, and what was that, like the 1500s, 1600s? Yeah, well, it was the 1400s, 1600s, 
bridge, you know, then, then everything started changing. And we went into, uh, I'm curious, have you seen that cycle repeated going back even further, maybe before the beginning of... Uh, uh, the of AD <laughs> in the BCs was that was there the same kind of conflict that we, we keep doing this uh, it, as the civilizations grew and grew and grew. Well, I, th I think there's this pattern. I mean, if you see, you look at the the Mayans and the Aztec empires, um, there were rebellions that went on there against the the different groups, hmm. and so you and I think that one of the things that may have contributed to the uh, extinction or the decline of those societies is the fighting that was going on between them. And then there might have been some other factors, too, in terms of disease and and other reasons for um, for that. Uh, another thing that also can happen is the climate change. Uh, and that's one of the things that um, triggered some of the rebellions, because there was a suddenly a coldness, uh, a cold front um, that happened. So the climate was changing then. You also see, I, mean, I was, I've been doing some research on Neanderthals, and I have another book called The Return of the Neanderthals, based, fiction based on what would happen if Neanderthals came back. But if you look at the extinction of Neanderthal society, there was a cold uh, a swap in uh, or sweep in, uh, uh, in Europe around that time. And so they were uh, confined to a smaller, smaller area at the same time that the Homo sapiens were coming in. And uh, so they they might have had better tools and whatever, but and then they they, uh, they mingled with each other and they um, so you have you have this mixture. We have about one to four percent DNA from the Neanderthals, but you know you have these, these extinctions of different of groups. And before then, there were the the, the, no, the Novians, and there are a lot of hominids that they're just only discovering now in the the archaeologists and paleontologists. Hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's like we go through these cycles and you can see this in the animal behavior as well, where there's always the struggle for dominance. Who, who is the top dog? And then, you know, as soon as they have some weakness, other animals come up. And so I think it's a pattern in human life. Well, uh, the one I guess you could say upside uh, in a manner of speaking is that uh, following these uh, periods. Uh, in this case, we, we refer to it as the Middle Ages. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why, because it happened, as you say, 1400s. Uh, I, I don't know if that's because it was between zero and 2000. <laughs> all the Dark Ages. Dark Most, Ages. That, yeah. that, was, that was after Rome declined, and then yeah. you had all the tribes fighting, and, and out of that emerged the Middle Ages. And, and for a while, there were these fights in, in England uh, or in other parts of um, Europe, where these different tribes would fight each other and gradually they coalesced into these empires, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, for example, under Charlemagne. Uh, so uh, sort of remembering some of the history that I haven't thought about for a long time, even in writing that book, because my, my book was focused on starting around the 1400s. Well, we then entered what is referred to as the Renaissance period, where they say that, uh, for example, the, the present-day situation that we find ourselves in uh, with not just the virus, but other issues as well, and obviously the turmoil here in the United States, but as you've already mentioned, uh, around the world with revolutions taking place, there are those people on this program who talk about uh, the new renaissance. They haven't actually used those words, but they've been talking about a new awakening, that people are starting to wake up uh, and see, and so to speak, uh, see what's really going on, and also starting to smell the roses. Uh, that, uh, yeah, you've got all of this turmoil and stuff going on, but that isn't going to solve anything because it never has. It's only perpetuated more, uh, more up unrest uh, from their perspective. Cycles of that. I mean, yeah. like the in the '68, you know, there were all these revolutions about Vietnam, mm -hmm. and, and then around that time, there was also this New Age movement, and I, I was part of that too. Yeah, where people would go into these um, uh, retreats. Um, we, I went to Esalen. Um, I was in Life Spring. What? I was in Life Spring, which was a yes. sp spinoff of Est. Yeah, so there was all these yeah. uh, new age movements that uh, were part of this um, transformative uh, movement in psychology. And now we have the happiness movement in psychology or positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think that that's, you know, roots of that. 
But at the same time, we've become much more materialistic. Uh, I mean, there was this time where, you know, where people would say, oh, everything can be free and we would just be happiness. And that didn't last very long. It's very interesting. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead uh, with, with what you were saying there. Well, I was just thinking, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, all of us suddenly, you know, the, a lot being locked in and having new ways of, of living without our technology, which we, we didn't have, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, you know, we, we couldn't have our conversation now. I mean, people are getting used to talking on Zoom and there's Blitzer and there are all of these different movements. There's Bitcoin and it's coming out to uh, find a way. I mean, there, there was the GameStop uh, rebellion among some, some of the stock traders who were rebelling against some of the hedge fund people. And I mean, you see this kind of on all, all different levels. I mean, it's not just people fighting in the streets. Right. But there are other people who are trying to use this new technology to create new ways, new grassroots ways of support. And there are also movements now to break up some of the big businesses. I mean, particularly you know, like Amazon has 70% of the market, but you know they can just almost do anything. I mean, they can just terminate people's accounts for no reason. And, um, and people have a little way of fighting back. In fact, I just discovered there's this whole um, network of lawyers who are fighting uh, to uh, appeals of, of uh, getting people's accounts reinstated on Amazon. But there are alternatives to that that um, like Ingram Spark and Draft to Digital and um, uh, Shopify, that could be a basis for saying, well, you know, we don't need Amazon anymore. I mean, you've gotten too big. And so there are protests from workers against Amazon. There's protests about uh, trying to break them up from business people. The, the bookstores hate them because they feel like they're destroying the bookstores. And the um, uh, and now there are politicians that are feeling like, well, it's too big. It's time to bring back the trust busting days. One of the things I find interesting about that perspective is uh, by people is uh, the one thing that comes to my mind is that Amazon, like all of these other companies that you've referred to, they're all private. They do not have to adhere to certain rules that, um, say, the public sector or the government has to adhere to, schools have to adhere to, and so forth. And that if you don't like it, and just as you've ex uh, expressed to the, uh, the, the, the other uh, companies that are out there, if you don't like it, start your own or find another one. That's why when I heard about the whole thing about certain individuals being, uh, their accounts being suspended or, or actually eliminated on, say, Twitter or Facebook, and they want, they want to get back at Facebook and Twitter because of it, I'm going, why? Why don't you just find another platform? Or why don't you start your own platform? Uh, it, it, well, I think the problem is that it can be very competitive and hard to do that, you know, if you're just starting out because of, you know, you get branding and everything, you know, 70% of the market is there. And, and it takes a certain buildup uh, from other, from many, many people who suddenly realize that they can do this and to start yeah. this new social media platform. I mean, Facebook has pretty much dominated that space. LinkedIn is more for the business community, but yeah. it's much smaller than Facebook. And yeah. uh, Instagram is basically owned by Facebook. So you have this consolidation and I think the government is starting under, under the Democrats to take more steps to try to regulate business. I mean, there used to be antitrust laws yeah. uh, that act actively pursued to make, make sure that companies didn't get too large. Because I think what happens then is you get these little uh, fiefdoms or kingdoms yeah. that, uh, you know, parallels with the Middle Ages. I mean, you had in the Middle Ages, the counterpart was the church. However, the church became so closely intertwined with um, some of the leaders, like the second son would become uh, uh, go to the church because the, the inheritance rules, they wouldn't break up the kingdom. So, um, and, and the women couldn't inherit anything. And so they were excluded. So, I mean, you didn't have this movement of women in the Middle Ages, obviously, but um, yeah. starting um, you know, in the early 1900s and women starting to come into their own. But, you know, one of the problems with our media is it tends to jump from one thing to another or it emphasizes things to be in the news. Like um, uh, uh, and something may not be that important, but the media plays it up. Um, I, I mean, I've been following some of the um, 
uh, Republican and, and anti-POTUS kinds of things that are going on on Facebook and, um, you, you know, and the, the struggle with Gates and, you know, so the, the, at one time people used to just resign and feel like, you know, they've had enough pressure. But now what politicians are doing is they're just staying there figuring the net, the news cycle will, will go on to something else and people will forget about them. Yeah. And so are, you know, ma- maintaining their power. And it's much the same thing that would happen in the Middle Ages where you would have these kings um, and nobles who would get into positions of power. There would be coups against them. And so then they would uh, you know, destroy the coup. They would arrest everybody. They would execute them. They would hang them in the gallows or you know, whatever method of execution was being done. And so you have the same sort of thing where people, maybe they're not being executed, but they're being silenced. You, you know, they're, they're taken off Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. Well, we're talking with uh, uh, Jenny Graham Scott, and we're discussing her uh, latest work and other things as well regarding sociology and uh, what have you. The New American Middle Ages uh, here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and we hope that you will go to her website. And that website that we want you to check out is Changemakers Publishing and Writing. Lots of great stuff there. I've been there. I've looked, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at it right now. You do some consulting. You do a lot of other uh, other works there as well, and we encourage people to go there. They can find out about you and, and uh, many of the other things that you have done. And we're going to continue our conversation here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. As well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. And we podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and other locations. And we're also on YouTube. Go to the YouTube channel. Look for the guy with the hat, Richard Dugan, and tell me your story. And Jenny... Jenny Graham Scott, Dr. Jenny Graham Scott's my guest, and we're talking about the new American uh, Middle Ages. Now, you, I, I, I kind of brought up the, the aspect of middle. I, I don't know where middle falls in, but you said, no, it's the dark ages, another term. So why didn't you, call, why wasn't the title then maybe the new American dark ages? Was that too pessimistic a title? Well, I mean, because I took the medieval period that is being called by scholars the Middle Ages. Okay. And so I, I, so that's where I started. And I didn't write about the Dark Ages, although, you know, that sort of led the way to it because you had these, uh, these societies emerging out of the struggles in the Dark Ages. And the Middle Ages became, you know, a sort of consolidation of royal power is essentially what happened in, that marked the beginning of the Middle Ages. Do you see in the present day, here we are in 2021, we're in the 21st century, it ain't the Jetsons like I was hoping for. Jeez, where are the flying cars when you need one? Um, Do you see that we might be maybe kind of in a way somewhere in some circles learning from history and are trying not to repeat it, even though when I think about it and your example of looking at the Middle Ages and the next came the Renaissance, and now we're going to have maybe the same kind of thing happen, maybe in by 2025 or 2030, uh, we'll see a, a modern day Renaissance uh, of art and science and spirituality and so forth. You see any of that anywhere? I think that could be coming, but I think that, um, you know, in terms of people uh, studying the Middle Ages, many people today don't have the same kind of interest in education. So you you have, you know, many people who are not particularly interested in education. They they go on their uh, their cell phone, they talk to people on Snapchat. And I mean, there, there's the, this downplaying of education today and intellectual things. So you, you might have a class of people who are leaders in society who are more educated and following this, but you also have this anti-science movement, particularly in the right wing that has pretty much taken over the Republican party. And from what I've read now, um, I've been following the Palmer report mm-hmm. and they talk about the Republicans now being in tatters because you've got this group that's sort of the anti-intellectual, the science group. Um, Many of them have taken over organized religion or the evangelical movement. And they're all kind of denying science. They're denying climate change. They're denying um, many people don't want to be vaccinated because they they have all these, these, these problems with it. And then you have this other side that's more educated, but they're almost afraid to do anything because of the the strength of the, um, the radical uh, people 
who are supported by a lot of you know maybe people who are not terribly well educated and you have this rural urban split that's going on now and i think you could see parallels between well they they had this educated class in the middle in the middle ages but most of the other people the peasants were not particularly educated they were not literate mm. and so that you know another parallel i was thinking about is the, the whole sports phenomena because we had that mm. in the middle ages mm. you know we had the knights uh, at one point we had the gladiators um, you know in, in rome and in a sense they picked on um, lower class people who became like their knights and the, the fighting. And there was a high death rate for them. I mean, it was a very dangerous kind of thing, but they would celebrate somebody and it was a chance for rising up. And I think you see the same thing in, in modern day sports where you have people who um, uh, are kind of, you know, taken out of the lower classes, the lower class boxers, um, and, and then they suddenly get, you know, power because they are, are good fighters. But it also is dangerous because of the football they're discovering about the uh, uh, the head injuries and creating, you know, mental problems later on. And um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name who just recently committed suicide mm. uh, as a result of that um, because he had so many mental illnesses and he, he killed a couple of people and he was in jail. And he, I mean, I'm, the name is on my top of my head. And, you know, yeah, so you, I know who you're referring to, though. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. I, I find it very fascinating, the parallels uh, between our past and, and our present. Uh, and I know that um, uh, for, for myself as an individual, I take a look at my own personal past. And it's like, I don't want to keep repeating the same old stuff because it's getting kind of boring and I'm tired of it. And yet I'm still kind of trapped in the sense that, well, I haven't quite resolved within myself. It's like you would think, you know, because you mentioned uh, these these personal growth programs back in the 70s and 80s that we've both been through. And you would think that after going through those programs, we would have been freed of all of those, that baggage, and that we would have gone on to do, you know, incredible things. And I suppose some people might say, hey, you've done some incredible things by the work that you do. And here I am doing this program and, and sharing these ideas. And yet, uh, there are times when, I don't know about you, but I feel like I haven't quite made it. It's like, I'm this, I'm this close. I'm like right on the edge. And if I could just get over the hump and I never seem, it's like I get slightly over and I can't kick the other leg over and then I fall back again. And I know that that's kind of how our, it looks, our society kind of looks that way too. And that, you know, it's, it seems like we're almost there. It seems like we're about on the verge and then something pulls us back. It's kind of like that story of a lobster pot and you put the lobsters in the pot before you turn the heat on in the water and they start climbing up on top of one another and finally one of them pulls the one that's very at the top pulls them back down and it's like you got to start all over again i mean i've heard that story with frogs too yeah but, uh, but i but to go back to the um uh, new age movement yeah i mean it's like it was really only a small percentage of the population it got a lot of publicity but it was essentially middle-class people. And a lot of the people were in California and New York and, you know, sort of isolated. And so that went on for a while and it was very exciting, but I don't think it really spread, you know, to middle America very much. No. Uh, you know, and so it, and I think today you, you do have people who are life, life coaches and people doing workshops and seminars, but I think there's much more focus about doing this self-improvement so you make money, so you achieve goals, so you have a career focus. So it's a little bit more, you know, um, hard, hard tax right now, you know, in terms yeah. of the economy and, and making money and, and doing all of this stuff, like the um, the gospel movement, where this, uh, you know, the the people, the gospel people are saying, well, you know, you can increase your wealth, you know, through God, uh, but but again, it's about you know making money, making bucks. Uh, there are some some people like uh, Warren Buffett who are contributing uh, huge amounts of their money to uh, charities. Yeah, uh, Gates Foundation is another example, yeah. and I think that more and more of that should be encouraged because when you have so much money focused on the top and you have people on the bottom who are homeless and are, are about to be evicted because of, you know they haven't been able to pay their rent because they've been unemployed. Uh, I mean, it, it creates a major uh, split in society that 
you know, generates this rebellion because wh where else do people go? So I think that I think more and more, if the, uh, uh, the sort of the modern day royalty can start uh, providing charitable contributions, I mean, I said that would certainly help. I mean, on a, on a, on a, but on a large scale, but but that's only a small percentage of these billionaires that have been created. Exactly. Uh, there was a story about this one billionaire who lost. Um, I don't know, twenty billion dollars in in one day. Wow! That, you know, he was sort of playing using I guess derivatives and getting borrowing money, and then some things went down, and and then, you know it's just crazy. And um, a lot of us cannot really understand. I mean, I read this several times, and this, the financial system has become so c complex now. It has. I I still remember the story of that one sports thing that they that that. Uh, everyday Americans got involved in and they actually managed to they learned the rules of the game and they turned the tables on the uh, the, the the people higher up uh, you know higher echelon economically and and it just it and of course nobody could figure out well how did they manage to do that well they finally analyzed how they did it and they can do it again I, and well, that's the GameStop people, and, and maybe yeah. people think of Bitcurrency as a way of doing that. However, mm -hmm. the, some of the banks are creating these cryptocurrencies themselves. And so, I mean, right now, Bitcoin has, you know, gone up about five, five, ten times oh, what it was. It's, I mean, well, it's just been crazy. Yeah. But it also can fall down again. And, um, I mean, there are all these forces that are trying to struggling against it. And I think we've become such a complex society that people can only know what's in within in their niche. Yeah. And so the need for us to reach out and connect with different niches. Yeah. They say whatever, what goes up must come down. Uh, so <laughs> keep that in mind if you're investing. Hope you're investing. And, right, in and that's what happened with a lot of the kings. I yeah. mean, they would be so powerful at that. The, and the nobles would fund these coups. And sometimes it worked. And that the people would be out of power, they would be executed, um, or, or they would uh, execute a, a younger sibling who might be a threat to them. So, I mean, you have all of this power, power struggles going on once people get into power. And that's happening today. Um, you, know, the, you see the fights in the Republican Party versus Trump. Trump is uh, McConnell's a supporter, mm -hmm. and now he's on the outs with him. Um, and, and Gates was at one time, you know, a, a very close associate, and now he's become toxic. And, you know, it, it's sort of like this, this power balance goes back and forth. And, yeah. you know, people are trying to figure out who's on top, who, you know, who to associate with. And it, it can be very scary. What I find fascinating as we continue in our program, what I find fascinating on the political level is, uh, depending upon who's on top, when they go when we go into an election, they accuse the one that's on the bottom uh, that if they win, if the if the people who the, the party that's on the bottom wins, it will destroy America and democracy and the Constitution. And it doesn't matter which side you're on, because somewhere down the road, another five or ten years, then that's going to be said about the other guys. And it just keeps going back and forth, and it doesn't feel like we make progress like we do on this program. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. Uh, Jenny Graham Scott, Dr. Jenny Graham Scott, and the new American Middle Ages is what we're talking about. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't gotten my robes yet. I'm still waiting for my headgear uh, to, uh, to begin jousting and all that fun stuff. Uh, so just to, just to stay in practice. Of course, I do need to get a horse as well. Uh, but we will continue our conversation with her as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And we hope that you will participate in the decade of, the perf of perfect vision, the 2020s. Spend that time going within. Listen to that still small voice and find that calm, peaceful place. It's, it's a great thing to do, especially uh, if we are just now coming out of being locked down. Uh, you, you're going to need the guidance to uh, move forward and uh, really get focused on your life's purpose. I hope we hope that you will take advantage of that. Here on Tell Me, here here on Tell Me Your Story, we're talking about uh, the New American Middle Ages with uh, Jenny Graham Scott, Doctor Jenny Graham Scott, Ph.D., uh, which I know is a redundant. I say doctor and Ph.D. It's uh, it's one or the other, but nonetheless. Your experience, your uh, education and research and study is in sociology. First of all, I love defining terms. Uh, I have a general idea of what that means. What is the study of uh, a sociology? Well, it's mainly the study of modern 
societies. I mean, I also have an MA in anthropology. And at one time, there used to be a lot of these small societies that anthropologists would study. And there's a whole uh, archaeology is also part of part of the um, anthropological discipline. Um, and so you, you and then the paleontologists are even you know earlier dealing with the bones and, and you know, DNA and, and that kind of research. Um, so, so the, there was a split in terms of anthropology and sociologists and the anthropologist approach was more like participant observation, which is what I did when I first started in sociology mm-hmm. and I would get involved in various groups and I would start, and I, I got in some spiritual growth groups. I was in a witchcraft group for a while and I compared that in my dissertation to a, a, a spiritual growth group. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, and, and a Wicca group, mm-hmm. which uh, calls Wicca now. And so anyway, I compared these two groups and the main differences were more in uh, kind of the outer, uh, what, what they would do out externally, but internally they sort of had the same kinds of approaches. They were very uh, insular. They would take on their, their particular uh, approach. Uh, they would, you know, be down on outsiders. And then within the witchcraft movement, I also studied another group, um, which I call the um, uh, Church of Who. It was the Church of, of uh, Satan, and then it got a split off. And so there were these early groups. This was 1968, and for a while I dated somebody who was in the um, uh, this the spinoff uh, in the Church of Satan. And it turned out he had sort of with a, it was all a PR stunt. He had this, this wedding and uh, Anton LaVey was the, um, the, the, the head at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was involved with that group for a while. And then I, I wrote about this uh, spinoff group called, well, I call it the Church of Who. And uh, it had another name in, in reality. Uh, but, but anyway, it, um, you know, it's like all these groups sort of split. You know, you have the leaders who feel like, you know, they have a better way and they split off from the groups. And it seems like a, a, a parallel to what goes on, you know, in all levels of society, uh, and particularly among people who start having money uh, or, yeah. or power. And I remember in the 80s, uh, there was a a. Uh, again, as I mentioned, I worked for a Christian radio station uh, for 15 years. Greatest education I was ever paid for. And I learned about sociology, psychology, comparative religions, or sects, if you will, um, among other things, and a little broadcasting here and there. But there was a Christian comedian who claimed that he used to be a Satanist high priest, and all of his comedy and his whole ministry was based upon that premise that he had worshipped Satan and on and on. Now he was all for Jesus. And it turns out that it was all a lie. And I thought, did you really think (laughs) that you could get away with this? And the thing was, is he was a pretty funny guy. He really was. Um, But it was all based upon a lie. And, I read about some of these cults. Um, yeah. Burka was one, another one of these where, you know, there are the people who follow the, the cult leaders. I mean, you have many people who really believe. And there were people uh, in the group, both in the Church of Satan and in this offshoot group, who are really believers. But then you can have people who are playing the game because they know that that's going to get them wealth and power and followers. And, yeah. you know, and it can be very hard to tell the difference to somebody. And, you know, so you have sometimes these imposters who come into the groups and they investigate and then they write, write um, about them. And so that happened. There was another church uh, group that um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, Nikim, Nivikim, um, that um, had this leader who he ended up in jail. And that was that was also on Netflix. So there were none of these documentary exposed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we happened. My wife and I saw that one. Uh, it was really fascinating. I have to tell you that from the moment I saw this guy in the documentary, I just, I'm going, this guy looks creepy. There's something not right, you know. Now, he was going after the women. I was perfectly safe for the most part if I was, if I was in that group. But he still just looked so creepy. Yeah, I mean, he looked like a salesman. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean he had had such a following of women who he would go from one to the other. Yeah. And so that, that for very powerful men, I mean, they think nothing of it. I mean, there's a double standard for women. I know there's some women in power in history who would be able to get away with and they would take lovers. I mean, um, 
uh, Elizabeth the one with, did that, and then and she was sort of known known for that. Uh, Helen of Troy. I mean, they they yeah. would take on lovers, and because they were in power, they were they were exceptions. But there was always the standard of you know the men can do this that they're supposed to, and they can be very outward about it. And it's even more so in the Middle East, where where you have this this super split. Yeah, well, there's a great line from a Harry Chapin song. Uh, my old lady took a young man last night. It drove me crazy when she said, baby, don't you get uptight. Why can't women play the same damn game that men play, basically? I'm paraphrasing there. And, and I thought, isn't that interesting? If it's a high school, uh, if it's the girl who's sleeping around, she's a slut. But if it's a guy who's um, conquering these women who are supposed sluts, he's some, he's, he's some hero of some sort. It's just, it's just bizarre. By the way, I just wanted to say, uh, in terms of you have sociology and anthropology, uh, I have to say that uh, the study of uh, paleontology, the study of dinosaurs, that would be a great study in, in reference to the subject of Congress. Thank you very much. And with that, <laughs> we're going to... funny. I, they, I, I did this book on Neanderthals. And, um, <laughs> that's even Neanderthal. better. That's even and better. I, I objected to that because um, the end of those are actually smarter than we think they are. Mm. And I mean, they had families. They had a very cooperative hunting. They had wore uh, clothing, uh, you know, based based on loincloths, and right. and they had um, uh, you know other things that they got from the animals and they capes. Yeah. And so they, they did a lot of things that, um, you know, it was, at the time in which they got extinct, I mean, it, it could have gone either way. I mean, because they were very powerful and strong. Um, and so, you know, they have very strong bodies. They were very, they were built for dealing with the cold. And so that's one of the reasons for their, their large nostrils and their, you know, their facial structure. Um, and then they have much better vision than us. I mean, there were, there were lots of ways in which they, they might have endured better than we did. Yeah. But so when, when um, Biden used that term, you know, that's example of Neanderthal thinking, and it was picked up little, a little bit later. I, I wrote a, a press release about how I thought that it was misunderstood about the Neanderthals. And I, I have a little book that I um, that I came out with called um, uh, Latest Thinking About Neanderthal Thinking. Mm. What about, uh, and I just want to dovetail off of this real quick before we take a, another pause here, but uh, what about uh, the, I, I had to look this up because I kept hearing it over and over again, uh, and I wasn't sure what it meant, and I'd looked it up, and okay, I, yeah, okay, that makes sense, draconian thinking. Draconian? Yeah. I'm not sure what that refers to, but um, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, thinking in a very uh, kind of a aggressive way. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's it's uh, rather interesting uh, because when people come up with certain ideas for solutions, uh, someone's like, oh, that's just draconian or draconian thinking. Uh, but oh, with... I wanted to clarify something about uh, sociology. Yes. Sociology is much more statistically oriented compared to the more anthropological. I mean, they're both very much statistical right now. Mm -hmm. At one time, uh, very few sociologists did because of an observation. There were some gang studies uh, early on, but um, but but now it's very very statistical and criminology especially. Mm. We're talking with uh, Dr. Jenny Graham Scott, and uh, she has written a lot of uh, uh, different books and booklets and so forth, and she's got a website uh, that we encourage you to check out as well. Uh, the uh, title of the book is, of course, uh, the New American Middle Ages. The website is changemakerspublishingandwriting.com. We will be linked to that website as well so that people can go there and uh, read more about you and the work that you are doing as well as other materials that are available. And we hope that people will continue to uh, listen to the interviews on our podcast as well as our videocast on YouTube. And this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you so much for staying with us. I thank you, Jenny, Dr. Jenny Graham Scott, for staying with us here on the program as we, we talk about a lot of these areas. I wanted to go into uh, one area in particular uh, as to uh, what was it that led you to or drew you, if you will, uh, and we'll go ahead and grab both of these, uh, to both sociology and anthropology that 
that drove you? Because I've seen people get their PhDs. I have worked here in Santa Barbara now for 15 years. And with this radio station that I'm working at, I have watched several people, both guests of programs as well as hosts, go after their PhDs. And it's not an easy process. And then they show me their doctorate, their the document, I guess, uh, uh, of their uh, of their PhD. Uh, and of and a master's isn't any easier to get either. I'm sure. So what uh, what sent you down this wonderful path as as you're able to share with us today? Well, I've always loved getting education and learning more. And I also have a doc uh, uh, a JD in law. You know, I, I went to law school as well. And then I got five masters. And finally, I decided to stop about two years ago. I was signed up for a history masters. And I, I was thinking I'd like to write about the Vikings and all these different societies and what we could learn from the different organizations. And at one time, I had written about the Mayas and the Incas and the Aztecs. And I thought I would continue that with these other societies that have gone extinct, mm -hmm. you know, Babylonia and Assyria and, you know, so on. And, uh, and so I was signed up for this class. And then I suddenly discovered I had to learn all of this historic, uh, historic, I can't pronounce it properly, but all this historical research uh, before I could even do my work on the Vikings. And so I, I just said, look, I just don't need this anymore. <laughs> well, let me ask you in terms of uh, history, uh, because obviously you are diving into history and in, in what, are, what are our middle ages. Um, how are you able to... Uh, get more than just one side of the story because it's usually the victors of any battle or conflict uh, or civilization uh, that write the history. The losers do not usually get to do that. And so we don't really get a full picture of the history of a particular civilization or time and period. Well, that's true for in, in the past. I mean, today we have many people, investigative reporters in particular, and, and authors who are independent authors who are looking at things from another side and they're coming up with new research. I, I just got this book. I also work as a ghostwriter where I review books, um, both to, to write uh, scripts for them, for, for turning them into films. And I got one today about the real history about the JFK assassination. And you know they, they came up with this being a one person assassination, but in his research, he says there were really three people because they, they really heard three shots from three different directions. And they tried to reconcile that so that there would be just one shooter and then put this under the rug. But there was actually a conspiracy according to this theory. And so you have many people who are coming up with alternate versions of history today, which is possible, you know, because there are, you know, so many people are using uh, Google for search and they're finding other articles. I mean, like when I did my research on the, um, on history and also on the Neanderthals, I would just go and Google search and find articles and find books and, mm. and there would be much to draw on. Whereas back in the Middle Ages, you know, before the printing press was developed, I mean, you had the people just writing, you know, the people in the churches and the, and the few people who are literate and were educated. And so you really did have this uh, people uh, who could provide this alternate view of history. Mm. Well, you know, it is Abraham Lincoln who said you shouldn't trust anything on the Internet. <laughs> well, you have to know what, what, what to look for. I mean, some things are trustworthy and some things aren't. And it's just like anything that's yeah. being published today. And there are these conspiracy theories. I mean, there's still people who believe there were um, uh, Satanists underneath these pizza parlors killing kids. Yeah. And they've done research. And um, I mean, there was no basement even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now we're we're getting stories out uh, that it wasn't the Democrats uh, that are involved in that kind of activity. Um, now, it's only one individual who might very well be a congressman, might very well be a member of the Republican Party. So I'm not saying it's the Republican Party, unlike the accusations uh, back then of the it was the entire Democratic Party that was involved in this uh, child killing thing that was going on in the alleged basement. Now, let me ask you again about uh, research and factual information. Um, are you, have you been able to find uh, sufficient, and it's referred to as primary source information as opposed to secondhand or thirdhand, that kind of thing? 
Well, I'm not able to read Latin or, you know, other languages to be able to go back to, you know, what, what these things were written in sure. back in the ages, you know. So, I mean, I have to rely on scholars and what's accepted knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of funny because I, I did all of this research from all these different sources. And I had one critic of my book who said something about, well, you don't, you didn't pick up the renters today and the renters are being destroyed. And uh, um, the rent situation has always occurred uh, but, but nobody ever talked about that in the books that I read. And it was all of a sudden somebody with this other theory about, oh, we missed the main point, you know. Yeah. And, and of course, it's interesting. I mean, if we're, you know, as uh, as there are as many critics in the world as there are economists and in the way of economists, as I, lo- I loved what Will Rogers said once, he says, you can lay all of the economists end to end and they'll still all point in different directions. I always found that uh, a fast, and of course that applies to a lot of different uh, occupations as well, uh, because everybody's got their own, their own perspective. But in some cases, a lot of these people have their own, almost like their own agenda, their own axe to grind. That they've got to, rather than looking at the evidence, they gather up just enough to point a finger, and then they try to make the evidence match the direction their finger finger is pointing. Well, there are all these alternate facts or yeah. alternate realities that, and, and sometimes people come to believe in it. So yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, there's so many different sources of information today and to be able to sort through and figure out what's true and what's not true. But I mean, I know in the middle age research, I, I read about 20 different books that were published by scholars about that and about three or four dozen articles. And the particular issue about the renters you know, renting today, you know, may be self-destructive, but there are actually people who think that, well, it's, it's better to invest your money in something else than, than paying rent uh, that, or investing in real estate. So some people, there are people who disagree with, with that. I mean, but, but, you know, it is true that all these renters who may be thrown out, you know, they don't own property. Whereas if you paid off somebody else's mortgage in your own name, it would be your own property. But I don't think that really relates to the, the big issue in the uh, Middle Ages, because these these people, the peasants, you know, were, were sort of renters, and they were paying these tithes or or, or fees yeah. to the landlords. But I but I but nobody mentioned that in the historical records that I'm I'm citing as one of the big issues. I mean, the, the issues with the taxes, not not so much the fact that they were paying rent. Yeah. And you have also, you know, under the um, um, when when the you had the freedmen after the slaves were were freed, you know they're paying rent. I mean they were sort of turned into um, you know essentially slaves, uh, wage slaves. But um, but you know that, that kind of thing didn't come up in the research that I cited. So you know I didn't talk about it in my book. I mean you can talk about almost anything. Uh, but um, but I was citing the you know historical research as sources. Are you, as an individual, uh, set aside the doctorates and the master's degrees and so forth and the JD, are you optimistic about our future as a country, our future as a species on this planet? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on people and realizing, you know, what what's happened now and seeing seeing the divisions in our society. And I think um, I think the Biden administration is moving in that direction of trying to make, make a more equal society and trying to do that. But you have all these people on the other side that are fighting him and saying, well, he's not doing anything. He's not doing enough press conferences. Uh, he's not talking enough. Well, because, you know, he's not trying to do press conferences that are taking away from legislation. But you have these obstructionists who just simply want to destroy whatever is happening and and. I, I guess it just depends on enough people sort of waking up and realizing, you know, well, c- climate change is real. I mean, we, we see what's going on in deserts and the fires in California. Um, so there were all the, this evidence of it. Uh, the uh, polar uh, caps are melting. The uh, polar bears are losing their habitat. The penguins are. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you, there's lots of evidence of that. And then the virus is something something that, doesn't care about what what you what you believe politically. I mean, it's going to attack anybody. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's it's what I find interesting too is that everybody seems to think that whatever this current situation is that it's permanent, and nothing is permanent. Everything is changing. Everything's in motion, and anything could happen at any given moment. Uh, so the to me, when this pandemic, for example, when it started, all I could think of were the opportunities ahead for us, not knowing what they were. No, I'm not a psychic or anything, but. I just knew that because we decided to do something different this time, as opposed to the, uh, the, the rest of my 60 years on this planet where I used to think, you know, if they just shut down the airlines when the influenza hit the United States, shut it down for two weeks, uh, you know what? You'd stop the transmission and uh, then we could get on after, a, after those two weeks. Everybody's going to feel better and we get back to uh, being a productive society. But they, I would always hear this comment that, no, 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 you don't, you don't have, you have no idea what that's going to do to our economy. So now I say that and, and if someone says that, I says, as compared to the last 14 months, Really? I don't think so, Tim. No, I mean, like New Zealand, there are some countries that have been much more isolated than others mm -hmm. that have had much lower rates. But, you know, as soon as you open up, it starts climbing. So it's, it's balancing where yeah. you, know, you really need to uh, solve the pandemic before you can really fix the economy. Because And people are just afraid, even though we're opening it up. You know, does does that mean people are going to back to stores? I, I don't think so. It's going to be a while before all that happens. I know for me as a writer, it it, it actually made me more productive because I all all my meetings got canceled, and yeah. so I wasn't going out pitching things. And I got more, you know, more people wanted ghostwriting than more people wanted other things being done. Um, so I, I I wrote a whole series of songbooks. I found a collaborator, and so we've got. Um, I have on my channel, if you go to Changemakers Publishing on YouTube or Changemakers Music on YouTube, you'll see about 80 songs that we we did. So I did the lyrics and he did the music. Oh, wow. So, you know, so it opened up doors for me to do that. Um, and so I had more time to do writing. And I did. I wrote some other books about how do you turn your book into a film. And I, I, Waterside uh, Press is publishing my, my next book which is going to be about the, um, uh, what I call the, um, what's, your, what's your personality type or what's your dog type? Mm. And it's basically comparing people to these uh, four different types of dogs. There's the disc system, the Myers-Briggs system, there's the, um, um, uh, the color profiling system. So if you kind of merge those together and you imagine that for the four main types of people, the aggressive kind of person, the social person, the, the helper, and the researcher um, that are identified in these other systems. Well, if you imagine these different dogs, and so you relate to like, the German Shepherd becomes the aggressive type. Um, I mean, you could pick any dogs, but I picked very popular dogs. You're the Pomeranian is the social type. The Golden Retriever is the helper. The Boston Collie is the researcher, is really is a very smart dog and so it becomes and we did some workshops on that and people could really relate to it so they're going to be publishing that it's going to come out in about five weeks about you know relating to your personality type and helping you better relate to other people by understanding where you're coming from whether they're coming from if you're selling to somebody you know do you go into details do you come on quickly and strongly or do you, you emphasize how this will help people so it you know it kind of is your personality. So mm -hmm. I have a wide range of interests. I mean, they, they, sometimes people call me sort of a Renaissance woman because they do so many different things. Yeah. Very they, interesting. They, they, they like people to specialize. They, they want you to do that one huge book rather than 200 books like I've done. Yeah. As a, and if I was to go into dentistry, I think I would focus on the front left molar number six. <laughs> That'd be my specialty. I mean, I'm going to have to go pretty soon. But. Yes. Well, I want to share something real quickly with you and our listeners that a buddy of mine sent me that kind of goes into what you're talking about in terms of some of these tests. And I, I hope that you enjoy this. Then we're going to wrap things up. I have three final questions I'd like to ask you. But uh, get a load of this. This little bit is about tater people. Didn't know they existed, did you? You probably come up against them a time or two. Some of them can get all gussied up and look quite fetching. Others is right proper, and you wouldn't mind having them as your best friend. I'm going to tell you all about the different types and how to spot them. Some people never seem motivated to participate, but are just content to watch while others do all the work. These is called spectators. Some people never do anything to help, but are real gifted at finding fault with the way others do the work. These is called commentators. 
Some people is downright bossy and like to tell others what to do, but don't want to get their own hands dirty. These is called dictators. Some people are always looking to cause problems by asking others to agree with them. Is it too hot or too cold, too sour or too sweet? These is called agitators. Then there are those who promise they'll help, but somehow just never get around to doing the promised help. These is called hesitators. Some people put up a front and pretend to be someone they're not. These are called imitators. Then there are those who love others and do what they say they will. He's always prepared to stop whatever they's doing and lend a helping hand. They bring real sunshine into the lives of others, and they's called sweet taters. If and you know any of these sweet taters, you send this to them here and give them a big hug and a kiss. That's all. See you next time. My thanks to my buddy Mike O'Connor for that little piece. And I have to tell you, I, every time I listen to that, uh, it takes me back to when we work together. But also, it lets me know that there are all kinds of people out there. And I'd rather be a sweet tighter than anything else. And I think you're a sweet tighter, too. And I have three final questions for you, if I may ask you. And then I'm going to let you go, because I know you've got to run. And the first of those three questions is, who is Jenny Graham Scott? Well, I guess I would call, describe myself as a creative, prolific person who's always been dedicated to doing new things, doing things differently, and then turning things around. So if something bad happens, I try to find, you know, the uh, kind of lemon, turning lemons into, uh, you know, in, into lemonade. So I've always believed in that. In fact, um, I have a whole film career, which we didn't talk about, which started off with my getting ripped off by a woman. And I met by the people I collaborate with as a result of that. And we now have 14 films. Um, you can go to Changemakers Productions Films to see examples of the films we've done. We have distributors for the, the, the eight completed films we've done. All right. Second question is, that's incredible. Yeah, we'll have to have you back to talk about those things. But uh, second question is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, I hope that it will help people and it will inspire people and it will educate people and inform people and so i mean i guess that you would say that's sort of my mission in life is to you know sort of share information and use various creative media to do it and finally what is your life's purpose well, I think I just mentioned that. I think it's, you know, being creative and, you know, doing more things, exploring new avenues. And, and I've always been very interested in lots of things and exploring and, and discovering new ways of doing things. And so I think that that's basically my life purpose. It took me a while to discover that because doing so many different things, I always felt very scattered. And then I just, you know, realized well, my, my main focus is, is writing and helping other people with the, you know, with their books and scripts and, and doing my own projects. And they're all sort of inspired by writing. I've, I've been a game designer and by, you know, you write rules, uh, films, I write the, I write the script for books. I write the book for songs. I write the lyrics. So it's all really focused around writing. Hmm. Well, Dr. Jenny, uh, Jenny Graham Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's been a great pleasure to chat with you. And yeah, we should have you back again to, to talk about all of the other endeavors. You, you're quite a you're quite a renaissance person in my book uh, with all of the diversity of outlets that you have. Uh, I, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. That's wonderful. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, and hopefully the renaissance will be coming back. Well, you'll fit right in, and so will I, I hope. <laughs> I thank you. I thank you again, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull.